While I was in the world, I taught for several years. One of the minor duties of teaching was helping out at extracurricular activities, such as chaperoning high school dances. I couldn't help but notice that while the gym could be well decorated, the music thumping, and the students dressed up, no one would dance if it were too brightly lit. Fortunately, my friend Mike, the assistant headmaster, understood this well and knew how close to total, to total darkness it had to be in order to coax everyone, even the shyest and most self-conscious, out onto the floor to engage in that collective rhythmic convulsing, which they called dancing. After allowing a few minutes for stragglers to arrive and the decorations to be admired, he would head over to the switches and systematically turn them off until the gym was cloaked in a tenebrous gloom. With the darkness came security, protection from possible mockery because of awkwardness or infelicity, and the freedom to make mistakes and not look too foolish. I expect we all have had an experience of this kind. We have learned that in this world, light comes with the risk of malicious injury, and we often have the scars to prove it. Recognizing that we may be ambivalent about light is helpful as we consider today's gospel, because this suspicion is exactly the opposite of what our Lord is saying. For his kingdom is not of the world, and his ways are above the world's ways. The light came into the world, Jesus tells Nicodemus, and whoever lives the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. This is challenging. Are we willing to claim that we live truthfully? Midway through Lent, after three weeks of more careful self-examination, we are more aware of our failings. Our fasting and penitential exercises may have stirred up suppressed vicious tendencies we would rather not have to admit, or have thought that we conquered long ago. We may be reluctant to step into the light and reveal our soiled garments and self-inflicted wounds, but we should recall two things to mind. First, however dazzled our eyes may be by the splendor of this light, we know the intention behind it, and that in it there is no malice. Jesus himself declares to Nicodemus, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. St. Paul bears witness to this as well when he tells the Romans, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We should banish any fear that might assail us, for we are not criminals caught in an officer's beam. Rather, we are children lost after dark and surrounded by the terrors of the night for whom the sudden blaze means only rescue and the security of our parents' arms. Second, we must remember that this light is true, sent to illuminate every man, not expose him. God dwells in light inaccessible and incomprehensible, but in Jesus that infinity has drawn near to us and fit itself to our finitude. Gerard Manley Hopkins beautifully describes this when he says that in the Incarnation, in Christ's taking flesh of the Blessed Virgin, we may see him made sweeter, not made dim, and her hand leaves his light sifted to suit our sight. 
we are again given cause to cast aside any lingering doubt or fear. In Jesus, we meet truth himself. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, interceding for the people's sins, so Jesus lifts himself up to plead for us. Having conquered death, he never ceases to intercede for us, for he lives forever for this very purpose. We have his promise that whenever we turn to him in repentance, he will forgive us. Remembering the love that sends this truth, let us draw near to the light with joyful confidence and grateful hope. Here at the midpoint of Lent, let us look to the liturgies of the Triduum toward which we are traveling. On Good Friday, we will stand at the foot of the cross to live the truth that Jesus can cry out in the reproaches, O my people, what have I done to you? Or how have I offended you? And at the same time, he never ceases to plead for the salvation of the world through the great solemn intercessions. We should endeavor never to forget the festival of light that is the Easter Vigil, remembering that in the ancient church, baptism was often called illumination. From the leaping blaze of the new fire, the gentler flame of the paschal candle will be lit. That light, the light of Christ, will lead us into the church. From the paschal candle, our own candles will be ignited, divided into many flames, yet never dimmed by sharing. In that soft luminosity, we will gather around the font and renew our baptismal vows, rejecting the false glamours of the devil and professing our belief in the name of the only Son of God. Bathed in the clarity and splendor of baptism, God will again claim us as his, as his beloved sons and daughters, and Christ will bestow anew the dignity of our being his brothers and sisters. The welcoming glow of the charity that has never ceased to cover our sins will enfold us. Fixing our eyes and hearts on that luminous goal, let us strengthen our feeble hands and weak knees and press on, joyfully rededicating ourselves to our Lenten observance. As we again take up the tools and weapons of fasting and prayer to school our passions and resist the devil, let us also seek to reflect the true light that is our goal. By acts of mercy and forgiveness toward our neighbors, Christ may shine through us, inviting and welcoming others. May his sweetness entice even hardened sinners, even the most unrepentant recesses of our own hearts, until we all dare to step out of our darkness and join the great, solemn dance of, the, of heavenly praise that is the kingdom of God. <laughs>